noticing, Leslie, like when you were talking, I was just thinking, wow, this is so different from me. Like I grew up with it too, but I never watched it until I'd say like the last five years. But like it's become an integral part of my life as a 30 year old in that it's always on, just like you said, like for your mom, you know, it's like wallpaper in my room and I need it on and it makes me just feel better. I don't even know how to explain it. I enjoy watching it. I can pay attention or not and still kind of fall. Like you guys said, there's like a, you know, um, color by numbers or whatever, like in your brains unconsciously occurring as the show's happening and you don't even have to like necessarily follow every single thing for an episode to kind of get what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like the ultimate double screen show where if you're like one of these weirdos who like is playing a handheld game or, you know, on the internet while watching a show. Like, and I happen to be one of these. And I sometimes am one of them too. <laughs> like it, it's the perfect thing for like, because you can drop in and drop out just like a co-op game and you won't miss a beat. Yeah, definitely. And I go to sleep to it like every single, like I have to be watching it. And it's great because I've seen... Well, I've seen every SVU except for this last season, which I haven't seen, um, but multiple, multiple times. So I, you know, I'm not trying to follow along when I'm going to sleep. But yeah, I've seen every SVU and then I've seen almost every regular Law and Order, which I'm not going to say which my favorite is yet. Um, but those those are the ones that I've, you know, but yeah, I go to sleep to a SVU every night because I've already seen it. I know what know what's going to happen, but it's just... Com- it calms me. It comforts me. Yeah, it's like comfort food. Dick so, Wolf gets it. So, what exactly do you think? Do we think it is that is exactly so comforting about uh, watching cops put people in jail? Not only put them in jail, but like constantly break the law. Yeah, constantly go around the rules. Constantly fucking with like whatever sort of. Uh, there, there's this sense that like the police are kind of corrupt, and that's okay. Yeah, and there's this sense that that the the judges are kind of weasels, but that's kind of okay too because they're all on the same side in the end, the side of justice. And the DA is always the worst. The DA is always <laughs> like inventing new new ways to put people in jail for no particular reason. Oh yeah, like uh, like but I think that what what even though like we're all good leftists, right? We don't really support the carceral state, but we still love this show because basically I feel like it's almost like a science fiction show. <laughs> it exists in this alternate reality where, you know, slightly where the good guys are always mostly good, the bad guys are always mostly irredeemably bad or at least, you know, uh bad enough that they should be locked up for a long time and so all this shit that they pull all the shit that the cops pull it's not a bad thing because in this alternate sci-fi universe that is the way the world should actually work we don't need to we don't need a prison reform in the law and order universe because no one's in jail that doesn't belong there and if they are ellie uh stabler will fight to get them out (laughs) It's like it's like how Game of Thrones has dragons, like Law and Order has good cops. There was that episode actually where um where like that guy kidnapped his son and then hid in drag and and uh, Stabler talked him down and then he got to see his son. Like the judge was like, "I am waving your you know, your prison time because you were actually innocent." 
and 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 it was okay that you escaped. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. Was like I don't know the name of that episode, but that's the the one episode I saw where like the criminals were portrayed in, in a way that was like they they were actually in the right. But that's all. It's almost never the case. Like uh, one of my uh, an episode of SVU that's always stuck in my head. I think I saw it in like eighth grade when like the teacher was like bored and had no nothing for us to study she's like here just watch this and it, it was an episode where like two 12 year olds uh break into this uh cancer patient's loft and to steal some weed and then they they end up raping and killing her Jesus. and and the the whole thing is, is it's like the courts and uh the da's want to try these kids as adults but they only get one of the kids tried as an adult, and that's the accomplice because he was a year older than the actual like rapist. And so, like the whole thing was like there was this big twist where it's like we tested the sperm count and there was none. And because they and they were and uh, at the end, at the end they 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 couldn't convict the actual kid who did it, so they just like threw the the kid the other kid away in jail for the rest of his life and there was like, this whole thing where they're all just kind of shrugging and going well them's the breaks <laughs> and like it, it versus like when we were watching uh god what what I'm I'm already drawing a blank the name of the episode we watched about it, uh, interracial Af- adoptions oh yeah what was the name of that show? Um, custody 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 right? so there's always this weird professional so, so we should just prep really quickly though that that uh kate you sent us a couple episodes to watch uh, uh and we did we watched them we watched uh, the and episode. one of them is this episode custody that jdb was about to uh sort of get into so custody is interesting because it's an older episode it's what what, what 1990 season six season six so it's like what 1996 yeah. and 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 it's all about the first half of the episode it's uh you know jerry orbach and benjamin bratt are on the hunt for for what they're what they're calling a, a crack baby, yeah, <laughs> that's been kidnapped. A crack baby goes missing. A crack baby goes missing. Totally nineties. Oh, the nineties. Super nineties. <laughs> super a crack baby goes missing. This episode is like at like Ronald Reagan wrote an episode of it's TV. Shocking how poorly this episode is aged. A crack baby goes missing, and Orbach and Brat go on the hunt, and they eventually they they track down all these leads. The first people they book are uh, a middle-class black couple that are uh, performing oh, welfare God. fraud. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're bilking the system for an extra couple of kids in their foster family. Right. Yeah, the, the episode opens with a social worker getting murdered, and then Jerry Orbach, like, super dismissively is like, I'm sure the tax breakers are going to give a fuck about this. <laughs> That's amazing, too. You have a government worker making a joke about another government worker getting murdered in the first 30 seconds. Well, that's something they have, they include in every fucking episode, is Jerry Orbach has to make a snide little comment <laughs> before the dun-dun at every single, or before, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually before the um it's the cold open it's after the dun dun but before the you know visual whatever but he has to make some crack of a joke that like is never funny it's yeah. never funny <laughs> and and what's amazing is is that he's like it's jerry orbach's character is almost like a vestige from like these 80s cop shows like yeah or like early 90s like homicide like it, yeah. it, it's it's this weird thing that like even in the mid 90s didn't really exist anymore like the kind of beat cop who just just like cracking gallows humor jokes <laughs> and you know has a tough life but really cares like that didn't exist then <laughs> doesn't exist now uh, 
So so it starts off with them trying to track down this crack baby, and they finally find out what happened to the crack baby. And the mom took him. And it's that yeah. his crack mother wanted him back. Uh, and so then the episode really becomes about, like, and am I wrong to say this? Like, it becomes about whether it's ever appropriate for a white family to adopt a black child. Well, it becomes about transracial adoption, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, like, that is what it's about. But it also, and this is why I chose it, it also is about systemic racism. In the, right. In sure. Rob, Robinette, um, Paul Robinette, the the guy that used to be an assistant DA, the black right. lawyer who comes uh-huh. back as a defense attorney. And he really talks about... And I thought it was pretty sophisticated for the 90s in terms of yeah. some of the systemic racism. Now, the transracial adoption shit was kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. But, like... Yeah, it's definitely fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But some of the... <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you, though, that, like, even sort of getting into the issues of, like, whether or not it's appropriate to, like, take a drug addict's, like, child away from them is, like, fairly, you know, forward thinking for uh, uh, 1996, I guess. Yeah. And, like, he says, like, okay, I took a little bit of notes, but he's like, you know, the system made her a criminal. She wasn't a criminal. You know, she doesn't belong in prison. And, it, um, and you know, another lawyer saying, uh, you know, it's not an excuse. And he's like, it's not an excuse, but it's a mitigating factor. Well, right. I'll actually cut all that stuff because that's not that interesting. <laughs> but, no, but Dick Wolf likes to do this thing where, like, every few years he'll have an episode where there's a defense attorney who refuses to take a settlement and wants to put everything on trial. There was an episode about the war on terror yes. being put on trial yeah, after a Muslim guy murdered <laughs> someone. It's like it's like whenever he wants to, to sort of soapbox about, like, a, a current event— He'll have like a, a pretty open and shut case where like the, 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 the defendant is like guilty as fuck. Like like the, in this case, it's very obvious that like what the mother did was supremely fucked up, murdering like uh, e- even a corrupt even a corrupt guy. Like yeah. this, this, you know, it was a, she. She ropes her boyfriend into like kidnapping him and killing him. Right. I mean, that is the weird thing about this episode is that like, as you know, sort of relatable as her character is, yeah, like they still like murdered a social worker. Like That's whenever he does that intentionally, Dick Wolf does that intentionally. He always does it on the episode right. where like the defendant cannot like be seen sympathetically because that's his way. Like after the war on terror started, and they had the the, the Muslim guy who killed the racist guy. And they had, you know, the defense attorney talking about how the war on terror had reshaped people's minds, uh, you know, and against how they treat Muslim populations in New York. Yeah. Like, that's that's remarkable shit. But at the same time, he always does it by picking, like, the most, like, bloodthirsty, brutal defendant possible. <laughs> so, but let's get back. Let's get back to this episode. Kate, okay, what were you going to say about that? Oh, well, I was just saying, you know, I like it's it's. The first half is really dull and boring, and, like, I was just kind of like, yeah, this is a typical law and order, nothing special. But like I said, and and also, if you have watched Law and Order, and Leslie, like, I know you have, so you, you know Paul Robinette as as the assistant district attorney, and he was never woke. No. He was never, <laughs> you know, like, ever. He was just, a, you know, a prosecutor, as he's supposed to be, and, um... To see him come back in this in this way and like you know make this about systemic ra- racism, I thought 
Um, you know, I thought it was pretty pretty woke for the yeah. 90s. It's it's a ballsy move. It's like if they got rid of Squiggy on Three's Company and then he came back three years later and he was an anarchist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, he, he has a great line in there when he, when, I think it's toward the end of the episode where it's like, you know, I had to figure out whether yeah. I was like a lawyer who's a black man or like a black man who's a lawyer yeah, or something exactly. like that. And I decided the latter. And it did take me a second. I was like, so what is that? Which one does that mean? But uh, I still thought it was a good That means you can't be a prosecutor. (laughs) What's that? It it means you can't be a prosecutor and a black guy. That's basically what the line means. Like, I just want to say, like, I really, uh, this is a side note, but I really like Richard Brooks. I think he's a fantastic actor who's never gotten his due. Like, he's good looking, charismatic, handsome. He's got great voice he can sing actually um and like he was he was really great on the one episode of firefly he did which is the best episode of firefly and probably the best thing that joss whedon's ever done mm-hmm. like so he's a and he was in I the letter to his wife was pretty good <laughs> he was also uh the villain of the uh second crow movie and he um elevated that a bit but he like never got his due he never got you know the treatment that the chris north treatment where for whatever reason he's constantly working yeah, why why do you think that is um i don't know why would a black actor from the 90s have trouble finding work <laughs> even though he was on an extremely popular tv show who, who knows yeah so, i mean wesley snipes can't even get a job well what's cool about that line jack um, if he's a lawyer or a black man who's a lawyer or a lawyer who's a black man is they actually did have the his co-attorney say that to him in a couple seasons previous. Oh, so like it's a callback. I remember that. And um, I thought it was really cool. And yeah, that's the actual line that the show ends on. And Leslie, like as you're talking about, he's a great actor. I think almost all the actors in Law and Order, the original, not SVU. And that was a big difference when I was watching um, the community policing episode, yeah. SVU. The, the acting is just like two different levels. You know? Yeah. Law and Order no, acting is like next level. They were fantastic. Well, they're all like character actors. Yeah, Broadway. I, I was gonna say, yeah. Like, I, I feel like watching those old '90s Law and Order episodes. I was like, I was impressed. Actually, I was like, this is like really excellent journeyman television. Like, the the scenes are like shot interestingly for a '90s show. And yeah, all the actors are fucking insanely good. <laughs> like, these are like the, the, there was a time in in New York. I feel like when it was like Law and Order was it. You know what I mean? I like, it was great to be an ugly actor, <laughs> right? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's like, so fucking pretty nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, it's it's insanely well made television, and it's it's like really really engaging. I get why it's the most popular show on TV, even if it does, you know, as we're going to talk about a little bit, like put some uh, pretty fucking weird thoughts in people's heads about like the criminal justice system, right? So while we're on the note of the episode of custody, the one weird thing about the show is like obviously Paul Robinette had you know been a DA on the show before, but there was even with. What he was doing with his case, including getting the racist judge recused oh, for yeah. being in favor of sterilization. <laughs> there was this. Which was like, that's such a funny aside to just like come up in one scene where it's like, you thought like every drug addict should be sterilized. And he's like, uh, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> it like, kind of changes right? how you think about that character. <laughs> <laughs> he's, now he's the guy who wants to sterilize children, okay? <laughs> for the rest of the show. Uh, but but uh, 
there is, you know, professional courtesy is a very common theme on these shows. The idea that the oppositional sides in the end still both believe in truth and justice. Yeah. And they're all still drinking together and they're all still buddies. But that is actually part of what is problematic about it because you don't want all these people right. being friends. Yeah, I thought I was also thinking about it. It's kind of like the West Wing effect of the criminal uh-huh. justice system. It's like everyone's in it to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. You know? It's making these like absolute like making people who are like kind of like close to objectively like villains into heroes. You know what I mean? Like most of the people that work in Washington DC are like vile people. Most of the people in the criminal justice system kind of suck. Are vile people. <laughs> yeah. Particularly prosecutors. Yeah. Particularly, yeah, cops and prosecutors. Yeah, but it, that's so weird because, like, Hank McCoy, uh, like McCoy, is like a hero of mine. Like, he's portrayed as like this bleeding heart liberal who just always wants to do the right thing. He always sounds like he's about to tearfully, you know, br- break down because he just cares about the truth and justice and the victims just so damn much. But the show puts this idea in your head that like every, almost every prosecutor is like this. Uh, and that's yeah. not the case at all. They're all. Leslie, I, I mean, totally feel Sam. I, I I can't even imagine how many people saw Sam Waterston's Jack McCoy and decided I want to be a DA. I want to be a prosecutor. <laughs> like I want to be. Maybe like, that's this. Kamala Harris's tale. Well, yeah. I mean, like he is essentially a superhero. He is the immoral center of the show. Well, I and, but at this. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. no go no. ahead. I was, go ahead. Go, you go ahead, Jonathan. I was just going to say, by making him the moral center of the show, it, 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 no matter how persuasive the defense is on the show, in any of these cases, by focusing on law enforcement and prosecution, by making him the moral center, there's always this thing in the back of your head going like, these defense attorneys right. are full of shit. Right, like by default, the by defense default. Is, is, is the villains of the episode. Right, like the you you are you are sort of taken on this path where you want to see a conviction. Right, like the the mistrial at the end of custody is seen as like a major failure for McCoy. Yeah, it's not seen as like okay, this is what we could get. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, so so that's one of the things that made me um that 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 I was like because I love McCoy as well and um you know I've always thought he was the moral center but when I watched um Aftershock right. I was so surprised by like how he was portrayed like he didn't give a shit about you know I mean he didn't care that they put the guy to death you know and everyone else was dealing with it and struggling with it emotionally except for him and I was like wait a second maybe maybe he's not such a good guy. Well, that, I, I was a little surprised by that too, because he, he was so cavalier. I mean, I think the show was trying to, to do something more with it. Like the way that his ex-wife was giving him grief about how cavalier he was when he got drunk at yeah. the cop bar. And he talked about his dad beating him and his mom. Like I had, I had never seen this episode before, so I was like blown away. I mean, Sam Waterston is such a fucking incredible actor. Yeah, for real. Man, and he's so such a tremendous Orbach. talent. Come on, he was great. I yeah. Mean, oh, Orbach is incredible. I mean, he's, you know, he's Lumiere, right? He was the candlesticks in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. I know he has a Broadway history, but now I didn't realize that. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> half of these Law and Order guys were definitely like. They were, they were on Broadway, and they were they were doing like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. They, were like doing- they 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 took the leotard straight off, and then made a joke about like a woman being raped to death. <laughs> 
Well, and speaking of which, it's weird that SVU is the only Law and Order show that's left. Yeah. Like that's the one that's lasted. Like I mean, I well, guess- there's also they're doing the short. They're doing the like the mini series of like oh, the now Mendes the Brothers. now they're doing like the the American the like, crime story thing with with Law and Order as a brand. See, that's 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 Dick Wolf's franchise eating itself. That's when you know you got to start to. I mean, when you start copying shows that copy you, something's yeah. getting fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> It has really bad reviews. I did tape it. Um, it was on the other night, but uh, yeah, it has terrible reviews. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to think of There's that show. So to be many, honest with you, There's just so many more interesting cases than the Menendez brother murders. It's such a random. I know it was a yeah. media sensation in like whenever was it late '80s, early '90s. I mean, it feels yeah. I think it's around then. It, it does feel like very hollow. It feels like you know uh, uh, this is Dick Wolf being like, "Hey, the OJ thing was big. Let's give this a shot." Yeah, like, but there's no the social implications of the OJ trial. Uh, it's not the same, you know. It was right. a bunch of it was a couple of rich shitheads killed their parents. Yeah, <laughs> like it just doesn't have the same uh, cultural impact. But I, this, this murder does not have the same cultural <laughs> impact. But this aftershock episode, like this, this was a. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, so what? This was also 96. This 96, came out in 1996. Has I mean, there ever been an episode like that no. since? And, and, and I think it's my favorite. I think it's the best episode they've made, honestly. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And there has no, it, it, it doesn't follow the formula, you know, where it's half. The first half is the police finding the bad guy. And then the second half is the prosecution, um, you know, in the trial. Um Getting the conviction and, and yeah, it's totally different. Doesn't follow the formula. Never been a show like it. They obviously were trying to do something big, and I think they pulled it off. I think it's I do really too. heavy. And and I, I do think I think that maybe it also suffers a little. The only thing that maybe suffers from for me is how sort of irredeemably villainous it makes the guy that they put to death. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, like, like yeah. it, he, he, he wasn't just like, you know, he wasn't like what you see in real life, which is, you know, a, uh, a technically, you know, mentally deficient right. black guy who robbed a liquor store or something. It's a guy it's a who guy, beats it. It's a, be- yeah. a guy who rapes and Rape? beats a woman in public and murders yeah. her. She, like, she rear ends and cheered. Yeah, while a crowd cheered. It's like the most insane story ever. That's like, like what Jonathan was saying earlier, you know. Th- yes, exactly. Yeah. That they do that. Yeah, I mean, if anything sort of, like, pulls from the complexity of that episode for me, it's that they were, like, the literally putting, like, severity. a cartoonish murderer to death. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're putting... They right? zoom in on that tattoo. What'd you say? I said, well, the, I was saying it's the only way that the episode works, though, right? Because otherwise, it's... Well, it, I don't know. Yeah, it's no, only, I mean, it's I agree. only episode that can exist in the long in sci-fi, sci-fi universe because if it was just you know a guy who could barely read, who you know made uh, who you know shop a liquor store uh, because he was uh, addicted to drugs, then you couldn't do this same episode. You couldn't just she could not say at the end, you know, that you know it's New York got its revenge and it's not enough and it's too much. Like there it wouldn't be oh, yeah. that level. Uh, that- Jennifer Garner's in that episode too, which is totally random. Yeah, that really there's, caught me off guard. Orbach's daughter that sleeps with Ben Bratt. <laughs> I, I, and is never seen again. <laughs> I like to I like to look this at that as the uh, the origin of the character from Alias. Yeah, she has a- <laughs> the Jerry Orbach's daughter goes to college and becomes a CIA agent. Yeah, Ray Curtis has kind of like a really weird like I mean 
what's the implications you guys take away from, you know, like him meeting a young girl and going out to lunch and, you know, the other, the other characters they follow around kind of have more literal type situations happening. Whereas his is, you know, I, I don't know, escapism. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, Orbach uh, relapses into alcoholism. Uh, Waterston, Waterston, yeah, Watterson becomes a mess, and and Ben Brad gets laid. <laughs> ben, ben Brad is like, this day rules. <laughs> I should kill a guy every day. <laughs> There's a little extra pep in my step today. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the implication is that you know this show wanted to uh, you know cover the entire breadth of the police experience and show that while killing makes some of them sad, it makes others horny. <laughs> you kill guys and you cheat on your wife. That's what it is to be a cop. <laughs> That's why you got to watch The Shield. I don't know if you guys ever saw The Shield, but The Shield basically takes every single cop trope and flips it on their head. It's about, you know, Vic Mackey, uh, Michael Chiklis' character, is just an irredeemable piece of shit from the very beginning. And his squad are also, they're all thugs. And it's not apologetic about it. It's like, these are bad cops, and you're going to be hanging out with these bad cops for the next six years. And it's just an amazing show because they don't even bother trying in any way to ever uh, portray these police officers as noble because they're not they're crooks and that's uh i i highly 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 recommend yeah, the shield. definitely it's one of these if you it's disappeared weirdly like people don't talk about it anymore like they put it on crackle and that's why it disappeared because it was supposed to be the show that's supposed to lead people to crackle <laughs> which is free but still you know like not a lot of people i'm not typing in crackle to my fucking web browser ever that and joe dirt too <laughs> <laughs> what a service um but like uh, let's talk a little bit about uh you know the the new jim crow let's talk yeah. about a little bit how the themes of law and order and and the way that uh institutional racism and the and the carceral state sort of mesh together to create sort of a a safety net in the public's mind that that these shows kind of reinforce wow that was beautifully said jdb well, thank you. Yeah, let's just leave it right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that what JDB said is true. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah, Kate, you re- you're, 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 you're big on the book learning, and you and you actually brought this uh, to us uh, about how Michelle mm-hmm. Alexander talked in her book, The New Jim Crow, which is a very important book that everyone should at least pretend to have read. Um <laughs> I, I actually did read the entire book. I'm not pretending, but uh, uh, I am dumb enough that I only did it because of a podcast about Law and Order. <laughs> All right, so Kate, so j- j- yeah. just break down for us what she has to say about Law and Order. Well, um, she points it out only two times. In my memory, it was more than that because, again, Leslie is a fan. You know, I felt guilty. Like I feel a shame that. I am a fan of this show because I know it's propaganda and it's not how the system really works. And that is how Michelle Alexander brings it up and and precisely that it's portrayed the criminal justice system in a way that um, really downplays uh, the the issues, doesn't even highlight any of the major issues, um, race or otherwise, uh, in terms of corruption with the criminal justice system. And, and so, you know, it just stuck out to me feeling like I came away feeling kind of icky being such a law and order fan 
that I just had to watch more to escape that icky feeling. <laughs> <laughs> To hear the full episode, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash struggle session. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.